meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as New Year's has just passed, it's hard not to get a little nostalgic. You know, New Year's Day for me always had some great memories. We, we had a tradition growing up. Every year on New Year's Day, we got to go to our cousins, the ones we matched perfectly in age with, the ones we loved playing with. We got to go there because our church didn't have a New Year's Day service, but theirs did. So, so every year we would get up, get dressed, and hop in the van and, and drive what seemed like it was forever, but now I realize was only just on the other side of town. And we'd go to St. John's. And then we'd go from there to their house, where we would get all afternoon and evening to play and to eat and to listen to the dads snore as they watched the bowl games. Glory. But there was one problem. We had to go to church with my cousins. Now, don't misunderstand. The part wasn't a problem. That's, that's all we knew. I mean, when, when there was church, we were there. So, so you know, no sense arguing about it. You might as well enjoy it, get something out of it. So, so that wasn't at all the problem. The problem was that we had to go to church with my cousins. And then we would hear about it for the rest of the year. You see, here's the deal. My cousins sat perfectly still and listened the whole time at church. So from then on, it was, how come you can't pay attention at church like your cousins? And I don't know, that just got old for me. So as, as, as much fun as it was getting together with the Myers, it did kind of raise the bar on those expectations. Because believe it or not, I was not always the most obedient child at church. There are more Sundays than I'd like to remember when we got home from church and I was sent to my parents' room to wait until your dad gets home. And that always happened more earlier in the year when my antsiness had been put in such stark contrast with that perfect obedience. So, let's talk about that perfect obedience. That, that's, what, that's what we're talking about today, the gift of perfect obedience. And you hear that word... You should have seen the kid's face when I asked them what they thought about obedience. I think we all kind of, whether we make the face or not, have some similar thoughts. You know, what do you think about rules? What do you think about expectations? It kind of depends on who's making the rules, right? Whether it's someone we love or someone we detest, that's going to make a difference, you know, of how we obey them or, or what the rules themselves are whether they're ones we agree with or ones that we don't. So today, let's, let's look at a couple. In our Old Testament lesson, we read two of the Ten Commandments. So, so let's start there. And they're the Ten Commandments, right? They're God's rules. So we shouldn't have any qualms about whether that's someone we should obey, right? I mean, God made us. He gave us everything we have. He's, he's kind of powerful. So yeah, absolutely, if we're going to obey anyone, that would be the one, right? And, and these rules are ones that societies and civilizations across time and place have considered pretty helpful. So a, as far as a scale of, of, of how much we should listen to a set of rules, th 
you can't get much better than this, right? <clears throat> so let's look at these, at these two of the ten commandments. The, the, they're both in, printed in the Old Testament lesson there, but, but I'm going to challenge you not to read it right there. I want to see how well we do at remembering the first one at least. Let's see if we can remember. I'm giving you a hint. Let's see if we can remember it and, and say it together. The first word is, is remember. So let, let's try saying that third commandment together. Ready? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Nice. Now, if you really want to challenge yourself, we could keep going into Luther's explanation of the third commandment that <laughs> I see some recently confirmation class people shaking their heads no. Um, if, if you had the blessing of going to confirmation class, you had to memorize it, right? So let's see if we can do that. What does this mean? We should fear and love God. I'm sensing I'm kind of alone here, but, but I'll stop there. We should fear and love God. That's really where all obedience has to start and end, right? From fear and love of God, the one who gives the rule, right? So he says we should fear and love God, that we do not despise preaching and his word, but regard it as holy and gladly hear and learn it. So there you have it. Remember, honor, respect the Sabbath day. That time for God's word and, and worship. Cherish it. Value it. Love God enough to not look at your time in worship as time you have to put in for one reason or another. Love God enough to realize what's happening when you're spending time in his word. You are actually in his presence. You are talking with and listening to the creator and king of the world. And when you think again about how powerful a thing that is, and then you think about your past year of, of doing that, does it sting a little bit? When you think of even a single day that you didn't go running to God's word. Or a time in worship when your mind instead was judging someone else's outfit or attitude or, or the pastor's preparation or, or performance. When your mind wandered or just stopped thinking out of boredom. Or even a time that you just skipped altogether worship or Bible study because, because something else was, was more important that time. Man, we've only covered one of God's ten commandments. What do you think? Do you have that gift of perfect obedience we're talking about? In our gospel lesson, <clears throat> we have a faithful family faithfully fulfilling their religious requirements. Right? They, they were doing it. Every year to the temple, bringing the proper sacrifices, bringing their kids up in it. But even as they faithfully fulfilled these religious requirements, even as they were going through all the proper protocol, they get called on the carpet by their 12-year-old son. Because they... Missed what it was all about. Didn't you know I had to be here, he asked. The translation we have 
printed in the bulletin there says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? The original Greek actually has a figure of speech in there called an ellipsis, where, where a word that you'd expect to be there isn't. And it kind of brings some attention to it. So, so real literally what Jesus says is, didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in the of my father? And so you might know of some translations that translate that, you know, my, my father's things or my father's business or the work of my father. But however you fill in that blank, the message is clear. They should have understood that Jesus had to prioritize his heavenly father. How should they have known that? Well, if you guys have been in church these past few weeks, you've heard, right? They were told. Mary and Joseph were told that their son was God's son, right? They were told by the angel Gabriel. They were told by Elizabeth. They were told by the, she- by the shepherds, by the wise men. They were told that this boy was our savior, their substitute by Anna and Simeon in the temple. They should have known. They should have known that, that he had to prioritize his heavenly father. And why was that the case? Well, because this child is the gift of perfect obedience. In our reading today, we kind of have a transition from the Christmas season where we meet this this gift baby, this this perfect savior as as the little baby in, in the manger, and then the epiphany season where he's revealed to us to be true God and our Savior. And and what's revealed to us here is that concept of the perfect obedience that he substituted for us. You know, he remembered the Sabbath day, right? He regarded preaching in the word as holy and gladly heard and learned it, which kind of puts our obedience into stark contrast, doesn't it? But that's just one of them. I said we'd go through two. He does that in, in another way, as we look at that next commandment, the the fourth. Let's see how honorably we can remember this one. That was a hint to honor, that's the first word. Let's try it, ready? Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not dishonor or anger our parents or others in authority, but honor, serve, and obey them And give them love and respect. So, did he do it again? I know every time I review the the Ten Commandments, every time I think about them, it strikes me how often I've broken them. You know, we're talking about authority here. And instantly I think of the blue lights in the rearview mirror and the thoughts going through my head. Not necessarily thanking God for the gift of his representative that is pulling me over, ready to write me a ticket, trying to keep the world safe. Or maybe you think about the uh, junk you see going on in politics, and you hear the the pundits spin, and boy, honoring and respecting those representatives that, that God has placed over us, we sometimes fail there. We can probably go right down the line of times that you've wanted to protect and defend your honor instead of willingly giving it
submit to the one that God has placed over you, whether that's as citizens for the government, children with their parents, wives for their husbands, uh, employees for their employers. We've broken that one. And we see Mary having an issue with this whole honor thing in our text, too. She's upset at her son for what she sees as a slight to her honor, but is really a demonstration of her son perfectly honoring God. Look at verse 48. Why have you treated us like this, she asked. You've stressed us out, right? But you see what she's doing? She's turning the situation to be about how it affected her instead of how it was perfectly honoring God. And all too often, that's our failure too, right? I mean, parents getting upset at the children because of how their disobedience set you back instead of how it affected their relationship with God. Or getting upset with a a slight from a a friend or, or loved one because of what it did to you instead of what it did to God. We do it all the time. But the perfectly obedient one didn't. I mean, look at him in our text. Look at how he reacts to his sinful, human, wrong parents. Verse 51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Think about this. Jesus respected them as those that God had given authority over him, even though he is God. There's no way he should have to listen to them. But he does for you. To be perfect for you. For all the times we break the commandments, Jesus came. And not only did he keep these commandments perfectly, but he also perfectly fulfilled the will of his Father to give us that perfect obedience by taking from us our disgusting sins. And this 12-year-old in the temple would grow to become that 33-year-old who would be in that same temple who would be condemned for those sins. Who would be led outside the city for all of our failures to pay their price and to die our death. But then he rose to give you the gift of his perfect obedience. In my Christmas Eve sermon, I talked about how Christianity is different from every other religion, every other philosophy. And the key difference is this. That our God's love for you is not based on your obedience, predicated on your performance, or built on your behavior. No, our God loves the broken. That's why he sent his son. And today's text shows us why that works. Our brother was obedient for us. He gave us the gift of perfect obedience. So even if my parents compared our church behavior to that of our cousins, that's not the way God works. He doesn't compare your behavior to the perfect obedience of his son. No, he replaces your behavior with the perfect obedience of his son. And so now he treats us as the perfectly obedient one. So may God bless your new year with the the freshness of record and the peace of heart 
that that perfect obedience gives. In Christ, amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Our Savior Lutheran Church is located on the south side of Birmingham off Highway 280. We are on Dunnett Valley Road, about three quarters of a mile east of Treetop Family Adventure and Sports Blast. Our Sunday services begin at 1015 with Sunday School and Bible Class at 9 o'clock. We welcome visitors and hope to see you soon. For more information, please visit our website at OurSaviorBirmingham.com. Click on Sermons at the top of the page for a copy of today's service folder. You can also find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.